The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 86 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 81, When Dies a Legend. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in October of 1970. Starting off with our cover, I would love this cover had they not given it a white background. Honestly, it makes the scene look like it's being shot on a soundstage. The issue takes place really primarily in a desert, so why don't we see a desert sky or a butte or just some frickin' rocks? Aside from this, however, the cover really is pretty awesome. Vision and Scarlet Witch are both great, and this issue begins the very earliest inklings of their on-again, off-again relationship. So seeing the two of them on the cover is really nice like this. Also though, the thugs here are even all unique and interesting looking. And that says something, given the fact that only a couple of issues ago, we had five named villains on the cover of an issue that all basically had the same facial features, had the same facial structure. Here we have, we'll call them six, there's a, a seventh one kind of poking out from the corner, but we have six unnamed thugs, henchmen, and they look different. They're all a little bit unique. That gives this cover a lot going for it. Getting into our issue, from the roof of Avengers Mansion, several members watch as their fellow Avengers fly away into the distance. This opening splash page is so amazingly majestic looking. Captain America's stance is, oh, it just hits you right in the, right in the good parts of the feels. It's a great team shot, although the reality here is that it is a shot of the portion of the team that we're really not gonna spend a whole lot of time with, as you'll see here. As the Quinjet disappears into the distance, Captain America wonders if this is the end of the Avengers as the team they know. With several of their friends going off and refusing to join in the chosen mission, it seems as though cracks are finally starting to show in their democratic process. While the remaining Avengers depart the roof, Black Panther reminds the group that he also will not be joining them on their mission. The remaining Avengers say that they understand and insist that Black Panther follow his conscience just as they follow theirs. As Black Panther leaves, Cap wonders if he'll actually see his friend again. Now, I can't help but think that part of the issue here is that Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor are really trying to push things in a particular direction that they want the team to go into. They talk about how the Avengers are democratic, but really at this point, they are blowing off their teammates when they express a desire to do something different than what Iron Man, Thor, and Cap wanted to do. Also, Thor and Iron Man at this point are reserve members, so I'm really not certain where they get off thinking they can call the shots. At this point, Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Goliath have all been active members longer and been on more missions than Iron Man or Thor. Being founders on the team only goes so far. 
Now, of course, here we get the obligatory, once per issue at least, reminder that Black Panther is a teacher. And I'm starting to take issue a little bit with Black Panther, especially in this issue, because Captain America starts wondering how the team is going to survive. Really, what is a disagreement here in terms of where the team's going, both in the literal sense and in the more philosophical sense, the direction of the team. And they give their team members a lot of flack for it. But here, Black Panther, who is also not going off on mission, is told that he has to follow his conscience and that it's perfectly okay. What makes Black Panther so much more special that he can just go off and do whatever he wants whenever he wants? It's like the rules don't apply. It's the same thing where the rest of the Avengers say that Black Panther shouldn't go off on a mission on his own, then he demands to go off on the mission on his own, and the Avengers have no problem with that. I don't quite understand why this one particular member is getting so much leeway with his actions and with his membership in the Avengers. Changing scenes, we see the Quinjet speeding across country. The Quinjet takes its cargo of Avengers towards the American Southwest. On the way, Red Wolf attempts one last time to dissuade the heroes from joining him on his quest. He knows that he must carry out the next mission and achieve vengeance or die trying, but the Avengers don't need to be a part of this. If he is unable to do what must be done on his own, then he is unworthy of being Red Wolf and rescuing his tribe. Even though he exudes confidence in his mission, inside he feels shame at his apparent ingratitude. So obviously in this particular portion, we do have a recap of what happened last issue, which I kind of wonder why we have to have a recap of what happened last issue. It's a fairly short one, only a couple of panels, so I'm not going super crazy over it. At the same time, I just don't know why we need it. I would have much preferred that panel space be used later in the issue to maybe give us a little bit more explanation as to what is going on. In this portion, while Vision is piloting the Quinjet, Goliath asks if we aren't sure that Vision's mind wasn't created from that of a man named Parnelli Jones uh, because of how he is handling the aircraft. So I had to go look this up. Parnelli Jones is a race car driver who was famous during the 1960s and into the 19, 1970s, really mid-70s. And he was known for racing both Indy and NASCAR. Won himself a handful of championships but in general was just a very well-known race car driver. Think maybe like a Dale Earnhardt or Dale Earnhardt Jr. or someone like that who pushes beyond just being known in NASCAR and is someone who makes a name for themselves out in the, the general public. So not only is Red Wolf looking into his innermost thoughts, but we take time to look at each of the Avengers and the secret doubts that they harbor about their actions. Vision is unsure that it was worth ending his solitary exploration over this mission. Goliath just wants to help a man who he feels a sense of kinship with, one that reminds him of what he was like not so long ago. And finally, Scarlet Witch is trying to understand if she joined the mission on a whim or if there is something deeper of which she is not yet aware, driving her to do things she can't fully explain. Now we've seen this used before, the close-up portraits of each character, exploring their inner thoughts and doubts, and I still really like it. It's especially useful to slow down and draw out 
moments right before a significant amount of dramatic or action-packed moments. It's a little like the calm before the storm. It also serves to humanize the characters a little bit. We're all pretty certain that the Avengers will triumph, but this gives us a bit of doubt and lets us know that the Avengers aren't always so certain about the overall outcome. Now, their moment of peace is disrupted when the Quinjet is rocked by a large explosion. Someone has opened fire on the Avengers aircraft. Angling in from high above, a craft bears down on the Quinjet with lethal intent. Now, initially we see the Quinjet relatively low to the ground, then it's attacked, and suddenly it's so high that we can see the curvature of the Earth. It's a really cool looking couple of panels, but it doesn't really make sense. In fact, this one aircraft looks like it's coming from legit outer space. At this point, I thought the story was going to take a turn into a very science fiction-y invading aliens twist. And as we'll see here in a second, it takes a little bit of that twist, but not the way I thought it was going to, and not in a great way either. Just as things begin to get truly perilous, Vision is suddenly nowhere to be found, having exited the aircraft by becoming intangible. Although his teammates are unaware, Vision has done this in order to board the opposing craft in an attempt to disable the hostiles. Once aboard, Vision is shocked to discover that it is piloted by robots. Vision immediately takes the fight to the robots, but fails to destroy them in time. As I mentioned, we do get some science fiction elements here, and the robots piloting the ship doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. This story, up until this point, has been a fairly grounded story that is routed in a man and his community, and now we're adding in a bunch of science fiction elements that don't really fit. Yes, there have also been some supernatural elements, which certainly you could argue takes away from that grounded sense, but really the core of the story is about Red Wolf and the destruction of his community. So the science fiction elements just don't really fit the story. Also, Cornelius Van Lant, who is the primary villain of this issue, is supposed to just be an evil, rich, white guy. So robots really aren't in his wheelhouse, and yet here we see this happening. Now Vision gets pretty much medieval on these robots. He gets extremely vicious and aggressive. He rips one of them in half. And unfortunately, this is all in vain as Vision is unable to stop the Quinjet from crashing. Despair washes over Vision as he sees the Quinjet struck a second time and begin to plummet towards Earth like a flaming meteor. Its mission accomplished, the enemy craft turns and begins to return home when Vision, so overwhelmed with rage over the apparent deaths of his friends, uses his mass shifting abilities to make himself so heavy that the aircraft is unable to stay aloft and also comes crashing to earth. So here, Vision basically makes himself so fat that the aircraft can't stay in the air. In all honesty, my car probably feels similarly after I go out for wings. After exiting the crashed aircraft, Vision comes across Scarlet Witch unconscious and face down on the shore of a nearby lake. As Vision goes to aid Scarlet Witch, he fails to see the assembled thugs nearby. As a result, the pair are taken captive and driven to the palatial estate of Cornelius Van Lunt. This might be the first time here that we see Vision's face while he's intangible, and it looks really good. I like it. I do want to know how the thugs got on scene so quickly and how they found Scarlet Witch in the first place because she's not at the crash site of the aircraft. She is washed up on the shore of this lake. How did they find her? How did they get there so quickly? It's like they knew this was coming, like they knew where she was going to be, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
Once they arrive, Vision and Scarlet Witch are brought before Cornelius Van Lunt, and while Van Lunt alludes to something big happening in the desert near their location, he refuses to provide any further details about why he is so desperate to acquire the Native American lands. When Vision refuses to help Van Lunt in his pursuits, whatever they may be, the Synthesoid is then blackmailed into aiding with the threat of violence against Scarlet Witch. With that, he agrees to be Van Lunt's personal bodyguard. So what the heck is going on in the desert that is so damned important? I really want them to tell us or stop tap dancing around it. In all seriousness, if this turns out to be as lame as the last Van Lunt story, I'm going to be seriously pissed off. Elsewhere in the desert, Goliath and Red Wolf survey the land as they try and figure out how they've found themselves in their current predicament. Just before the Quinjet crashed, Goliath threw Scarlet Witch out of the aircraft in order to ensure her best odds of survival. With that completed, the moment the Quinjet hits the water, Goliath takes a hold of Red Wolf and Lobo and grows to enormous height. This shatters what is left of the Quinjet and allows the three survivors to make their way quickly to shore. Having gotten their bearings, the trio then makes their way to a sm the small village where Red Wolf was born and raised, and although he knows everyone, they seem not to recognize him and instead demand proof that he is, in fact, Red Wolf, as foretold in the legends. This homecoming, however, is broken up as Van Lunt's men again attack the town and Goliath and Red Wolf are forced to defend the residents. His actions in the fight, though, provide all the proof that the villagers need, and they vow to follow Red Red Wolf. So at least here, Goliath and Red Wolf seem to be getting along a lot better. If you remember last issue, there was some animosity between the two that was somewhat smoothed over by some visuals and some dialogue that didn't really match, but the two didn't really get along super well. In this case, however, they seem to be doing much better. So when the pair enter the village, they come across an older man who turns out to be Red Wolf's uncle, and yet he doesn't recognize him, even though Red Wolf's face is completely visible. Either the townspeople know who he is and just don't want to acknowledge it, or there is something else going on that having taken this persona just makes him unrecognizable to these people. It's interesting, they use a phrase, Uncle Tomahawk, which I didn't realize is an actual phrase. I had to look this up. And it has a similar meaning, and obviously it's a play on the phrase of Uncle Tom, which is a very pejorative term often used basically to, to call someone out as a as a traitor to their, their race. So Uncle Tomahawk is a similar phrase. It makes sense. I just had no idea it existed. I'm actually a little bit glad it's not something that they made up in this comic because I think that would be worse as opposed to a phrase that's actually in use. I don't, it's not something I would ever use, but I find it less offensive as an actual phrase as opposed to something they tried to make up to fit this story. In the attack on the town, there are a few really great panels, especially one of Red Wolf throwing his tomahawk. There's a lot of great motion in it, and I really love the coloring. It's it's a very odd coloring. It is not at all what I would have expected or had I been in this situation would have chosen, but I think it works really well and it looks really cool. It's done in yellows and greens, and I don't know, there's just something about it that I think really works. Back at Van Lunt's mansion, Vision confronts Goliath, Red Wolf, and the assembled villagers. Things become immediately heated between the two Avengers, resulting in Goliath knocking Vision an incredible distance away. And then when Vision returns, he quickly puts a stop to Goliath by use of his mass shifting abilities. So I get that Vision is 
super powerful, especially for this era. But is there no way, but there is no way he can hold back all of these men coming at Van Lund's house. Also, I'd like to point out that this is not the first time the Avengers have found themselves in this kind of situation where one of their members has been blackmailed into fighting the others. And I think it's high time they come up with some form of code or protocol maybe for this happening so that they can at least pass off that information to one another because it seems like it would really pay off. It's also interesting here that Goliath seems to know that his attack would not be particularly effective, but at the same time, he doesn't make use of the little bit of time he buys himself. It feels like he's waiting around instead of striking while Vision was making his way back to Van Luntz after Goliath knocked him so far away. It just doesn't really make any sense unless there was something more going on, which unfortunately there really isn't. Seeing that there's a fight at his front door, Van Lunt, his men, and Scarlet Witch all make their way to a hidden helicopter hangar in order to protect the dam that they are certain the locals are trying to destroy. As they hover above, Van Lunt's men see a group of Native American men crossing the dam and open fire, killing several of them. The helicopter then lands so that the men can finish off the Native Americans once and for all. Unfortunately for them, and fortunately for everyone else, Van Lunt's men failed to account for Scarlet Witch in their plans, and having freed herself, Scarlet Witch uses her hex powers to blow up the helicopter. Unfortunately, as is often the case with Scarlet Witch's powers, they work too well and the dam itself suffers catastrophic damage in the process. So why does Van Lunt have an underground helicopter hangar? They're in the middle of the desert. It's flat, it's open. Like, I'm not necessarily saying he shouldn't have a heli helipad, but why it has to be hidden underground, that, that doesn't make any sense. He's got plenty of room. Also, after Goliath starts facing off with Vision, it appears like Red Wolf is running away. And to me, that doesn't really fit with what he's done so far and how determined we have demonstrated that he is. This seems really out of character. Now there may be something more to it, but this is one of those times where it would have been nice if we could have not had a flashback and gained ourselves a couple of panels. Even a one panel explanation I feel would be sufficient, but we need something. And unfortunately we get a whole lot of nothing. Also, I feel like this attack isn't exactly what Scarlet Witch had in mind. It was very effective at stopping Van Lunt's men, but unfortunately, it's also catastrophically damaged this dam, which, as we'll see in a moment here, is about to fail. So I, I feel like Scarlet Witch attempted to do the right thing, and it just went haywire, which, unfortunately for her, is kind of par for the course for her powers. The idea of them being hex powers implies that there is a certain degree of negativity that comes from using her powers that really kind of no matter what she does it's not gonna go particularly well so with his men gone and the dam about to burst van lunt is left to fend for himself as he attempts to flee, Van Lunt is attacked first by Lobo and then by Red Wolf himself. The two men grapple with one another, locked in a life or death struggle in which neither man may walk away. Scarlet Witch makes her way to safety just as the dam gives way, flooding the surrounding land. In spite of their efforts, all the Avengers can find of Red Wolf is his cowl. Back in the village, the villagers honor the man who gave his life for the protection of the people. Just as the Avengers are about to leave, a young man enters the village 
with a bandage on his head, and he is warmly embraced by his uncle, who encourages him to focus not on the past, but only on the future. So here we see the death of Cornelius Van Lunt, who really shouldn't have been fighting in the first place. Like, I don't know what he's doing there. And why was this so important that he had to keep fighting? What is so important about this land? There is so much of the story that isn't making sense, and it's driving me kind of nuts. Now, at the very end of the issue here, we see a little teaser banner that the secret of Van Lunt will be revealed next issue. And I'm calling a penalty on this one. I'm calling BS. This story is effectively wrapped up. It is basically self-contained, with the two exceptions that we don't know why Van Lunt wanted the land. And earlier in the issue, Van Lunt made a very sideways reference to the fact that the aircraft and robots were provided by some, quote, friends. Obviously, this will all be revealed next issue. However, this story wraps up so cleanly, it doesn't make sense to try and stretch this to another issue. Now, next issue, without trying to get into it too much, because obviously we're going to have next episode, but next issue tries to tie a lot more things in towards one story. And while I respect them for trying that, it frustrates me that every other part of this particular portion of the story is wrapped up so nicely that we still have these threads hanging out. If they wanted to continue the story, I think they should have actually drawn it out. That they shouldn't have wrapped things up the way they did here at the end. It would have made for a more logical, more contiguous three-part story arc as opposed to really what is going to feel like two parts and then a semi-related, I don't even have a good word for it. So we'll talk about this more next episode. Just be aware that this is coming. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next episode, we will be taking a look at Avengers number 82, Hostage. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.